0: This is the huddle.com Lifecast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle LifeCast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by Nina Purewall and Kate Petru, both of whom are the co-authors of the book, Let That Shit Go, Find Peace of Mind and Happiness in Your Every Day. Welcome both to the Huddle LifeCast.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Great to have you. Great title of the book. Um, There's so much shit to let go of. Uh, As a warning to our listeners, there's going to be some swearing today. I guess the big first question when you see the title of a book like that is, what's the shit that we're letting go of?
1: That's a great question. And the whole notion of the book is all about finding that inner peace. And typically, we are so used to looking for happiness externally, right? In that vacation, in that person, in that promotion, in that condo we just bought. And what's happened is we've forgotten that we have access to all the happiness we need. I know it sounds cheesy, but within ourselves, our whole art, our, our nature, our true nature is joy, is bliss, is love, is peace. And, you know, when we were children... That's how we you know, embodied happiness. We were inherently happy. We didn't need anything external. You know, we cried for very practical reasons. So what's happened along the way is all this shit has gathered up and prevented us from experiencing that happiness. So every chapter in our book is basically another kind of obstacle in the way, you know, from the perspective of the mind that gets in the way of us experiencing that peace and happiness that we can find in the everyday.
0: You talked in your bio about, you know, in your case, Nina, and I'm sure Kate, you've got your own shit, um, as we all do about how a childhood tragedy inspired you kind of into this journey of discovering the world of inner calm, mindfulness, meditation. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah. um, So when I was 16, so over 20 years ago, um, I very unexpectedly and and tragically lost my dad and my brother. Um, It was, you know, my mom uh, wanted to leave my father and he, you know, was abusive, didn't want to, to leave the marriage, obviously. And very long story short, it ended up in a murder suicide. Um, his plan was to take me too, but I, uh, I guess, was fate had another plan for me. Um, but you know, losing them at such a young age—you're already an awkward teenager trying to figure out life—and you know, to to have that layered on top. I mean, I saw therapists and child psychologists, um, but I really started to question, you know, what life's, what is life all about? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of life? You know, why are we all here? And that's when I kind of got into mindfulness and meditation and even classical spiritual philosophy, if you will. And it has. Honestly, saved me, and that's why I'm so passionate about sharing it. Because I don't know where I would be without it.
0: Yeah, there's there's an interesting counterbalance when you discover the world of mindfulness and meditation. A lot of people, you know, have to crawl through that 500 yards of shit to come out clean on the other side. Which, you know, there's something just natural in the process of growing up where you also have to do a lot of that cleaning up work where you're exposed to all kinds of tensions, conflicts, um, unpleasantries in your life. That's the classic story of Siddhartha. It's the classic story of a lot of you know um, seekers who it's kind of a trial by fire. Is that is that confrontation... And I, I think it's relatable to a lot of people these days because there's kind of... I mean, I hate to say it this way, because there's so many beautiful things going on in the world, but there's also a heap of shit out there right mm-hmm. there's we're in we're talking right now in the throes of a pandemic. Um, the BLM movement is you know casting a very strong light on a range of social inequalities that exist out there there's if you're living in the us, you're dealing with like a lot of splintering, political unrest and of, and of course there's always just perpetual global Imbalance in certain countries that seems to go on indefinitely. I mean, we talk a lot about mindfulness as this this skill of self transformation and this this discovery of kind of inner calm. How does this translate out into the world? You know, how does how does what's the relationship between our inner world and our outer world? Um, so that we go beyond an understanding that that mindfulness is just a self care kind of selfish activity. What's your perspective on that, Kate?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, you know, I I read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a wonderful Buddhist monk. Um, And, you know, he says one of the goals of mindfulness is to have peace within our hearts so that we can be able to help others. You know, and you look at a lot of... Other cultures, whether it be indigenous or other religions, and the goal of it is always to help others. So we tend to, I think, in our Western mindset, have this idea of uh, using mindfulness just for ourselves. And it does work swimmingly. For ourselves, um, and you know, we, we're very sort of externally focused. Like when I eat, when I eat all this wonderful stuff, and I and I work out, I'm going to look great, and, and and that's about me. Um, but when you you know, you really look at like the crux of mindfulness, and a lot of of, the, of these other you know spiritual or religious beliefs, the goal of taking care of yourself is so that you can be a better person to better help others. Because if you are filled with despair, if you are filled with hel- helplessness or hopelessness, um, you cannot be there for others, right? Um, and I love this idea of um, community care. I'm not sure if you've seen it in, in the, you know, the social media realm, but we've, I think we've been focusing a lot on self-love and self-care over the past you know, be it five years has been really trendy and I think it's wonderful. I think we still, I still have a, a way to go and there's a lot, you know, we're kind of pushing back from telling us that we're, we're not worthy, we're not good enough. And um, so there's a lot of rebuilding there with, with self-love, but there's this notion of community care. And that means, you know, taking care of others is a means of taking care of ourselves. And so I think when we... Are living in these societies where um, you know things are unequal. There's a you know a lot of people that are marginalized. There's unfair systems. The people who are you know quote unquote happy in those systems cannot fully reach the potential if everyone is not well, right? So it is in our own self interest to fight for climate change. It is in our own self-interest to fight for, you know, black and indigenous lives because the more that everyone else is happy, the, the, you know, the happier. And this actually, there's research that comes out of, um, there's research to prove this from an epidemiologist in England um, called Kate Pickett. And what she found is that countries that have, that are more equal, um, they tend to live longer. There's less violence. Um, they're happier. There's less addiction. There's less mental health problems, um, and this is this is factually true, right? This is this is based on, on on research. And so, when we look at places like you know the the United States, where life expectancy is decreasing. Um, uh, and people are not getting healthier in many ways, which is weird because you think, wait a second, everything looks like we're getting healthier. We're drinking smoothies. and But no, actually, life, life expectancy is actually decreasing, which is wild. Um, but they are one of the most unequal on that spectrum, right? So um, it, it is in our own interest and in our own wellness to, to take care of each other. Yeah.
0: Well, I think one of the things that you're talking about Bringing this back to the practice of mindfulness is that as you go inward, I think one of the the clear revelations is that your inner and outer, outer lives are a mirror of each other, that there mm-hmm. is no distinction between your inner and outer experience. And and part of the the mindfulness experience is the alignment of those two things, right? Mm-hmm. meaning yeah. I'm not sitting in calm for 30 minutes, developing a deep sense of insight into the nature of reality. And then I'm out in the world, like, you know, kind of a, a mongoose on the loose kind of thing. You know, there's, there is this right. um, part of this experience of mindfulness to your point, And this is very embedded in the wisdom traditions. It's like, you look at someone like teach not Han or the Dalai Lama mm-hmm. who exude loving compassion as an extension of mm-hmm. this inner quality of calm and peacefulness is integral mm-hmm. yeah. to this so it is mindfulness is also a social practice it's an understanding mm-hmm. of how i am relating to how i'm interconnected to the world around me
2: mhm mhm i love that yeah that was so that was so well put and that's why you know, when they did those MRI studies on, on monks, the, with the meditations that they were using work were, were meditations on compassion. Um, and so when we're thinking about others, you know, our amygdala shrinks, we're less reactive, we're a lot happier, um, you know, and I know the Dalai Lama always says, you know, if you want to be happy, try to make others happy. That is your own path to, to happiness. Yeah.
0: Um, talk about, there, there's a kind of irreverence in the title of your book, right? And there's there's a growing culture of irreverence. I mean, Mark Manson is, you know, stepping up to the plate on this, you know, this kind of like it's almost like a rejection of the status quo. There, there is mm-hmm. a little bit of that rebelliousness yeah. that's permeating a new culture of going inward. Talk a bit about and and you, the title of your book is suggestive of this, right? You could have just called this like mindfulness practice for dummies yeah. you know, or mm-hmm. yeah. you know sit down yeah. think less i mean there's probably a, there were you know we could have come up with a million different titles but you specifically chose a title that has a kind of rebellious quality about that what is it that you're inviting people to rebel against
2: um well the <laughs> idea of using swear words it came about four years ago when I started an organization called Mind Matters. And at the time, mental health was really focused on, um, you know, anti-stigma and suicide prevention, all extremely important things. Um, but it wasn't really focused on prevention in the same way that we were seeing people, you know, working out their bodies or, or eating wellness stuff, um, or, you know, nutritional stuff. So I wanted to like mental health was in such this heavy sort of place. And uh, I wanted to make it relatable. And I remember seeing this Facebook group. It's really popular. It was at the time. Maybe people still know it called I fucking love science. And it was, it just blew up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, this girl just used the word, fuck um, and threw it in there and made this thing that's kind of geeky and nerdy and made it super relatable. And I was like, I can do the same thing with, with mental health, because at the time, you know, mental health, it, it still does have this like heavy quality to it. Right. And it doesn't have to be we all have mental health. We all have a brain. You know how can we think about it in a sort of a lighter way and use it in our day to day? So that's why we. Um, that's why I started some workshops where I, where I have Nina as our mindfulness instructor um, to run a, a workshop called Mindful AF, and um, and that really led us to the book. And I'm I'm so happy that I had Nina because you know, mindfulness wasn't really popular so much of the time. And she had, I think, like 15 years worth of practicing it. Um, so she was kind of able to, to come in and I would layer on some of this cheeky, you know, copy that I was writing. And um, yeah, together, that's how we, we, we've created unfiltered, unfiltered Mindfulness in the book. I think, too, it's important to,
1: and Kate did a really good job of this in the marketing, is to make all of this approachable because mindfulness and meditation and even classical spiritual philosophy can be intimidating and people feel like they they can't reach it or they don't have time to go to the Himalayas for a year or take a week retreat in Costa Rica. And so one of the things we wanted to do, um, which personally made me nervous because I grew up learning from monks and, you know, how was this going to go when I almost, you know, walked away because I thought, is this the right thing? But the swearing is also a form of expression and and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with you know expressing yourself using swear words if you're having a moment if you're having a day and you know it's just all around acceptance you know yeah. acceptance of yourself acceptance that you can, you can do this, that this is not as hard as it as it think as it looks and feels. Um, you know, we didn't want people to feel like they had to go to a temple to learn meditation. They could learn it right in their own homes. And that's why the book is, you know, a hundred tips. We tried to make it really succinct and, as I said, approachable. Um, and I think the swearing just makes it that much more relatable. We've heard from a lot of people around how. You know, um, they've read lots of self-help and spiritual books, but this is the one book that they felt that they could, they could really relate to from a personal experience. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's all, it's not all, it's not all um, rainbows and lollipops in the world of many of these very disciplined traditions. And, you know, this idea of like stunning people into awareness is very consistent, particularly in the Buddhist tradition where you see, you know, a kind of rigor and an intense discipline that, you know, a teacher will impart on a student as a way of kind of just, you know, a little whack across the head. I mean, there's a reason in the Zen tradition that you, in some Zen traditions, at least in certain practices where you get whacked on the back, you know, when you're not kind of showing, showing a certain discipline in the practice. So I I think it's interesting that you chose a language that just forces people to you know kind of awaken to this new idea. So I think it's a really compelling and I think that it I think that it's also relevant because it's people are are ready to rebel against the status quo. You sense that there is a growing malaise, you know, people <laughs> there's the, the same debate post-pandemic. Like everyone's like let's get back to normal. You know, you've got yeah, that. No. And then you've got people who are like why don't we just rewrite what the normal is. Why would we want to get back to some things that we know were broken, right? The pandemic didn't break things. I mean, it broke a lot of things obviously, and it took a lot of people's lives and it's impacted a lot of people's lives, but it's also cast a huge light on so many Mm -hmm. things that are not working. Why would you go back to things that are not working? So I think I sense that same kind of invitation from your book is if there's things in your life that are not working, you don't have to just abide in that. You don't have to be stuck in that shit, so to speak, right? You kind of come out of that into a new kind of way of authentic way of, of being in the world. And as you described it, this idea of like swimming upstream and challenging yourself to see the world differently. Um, so I think that's a great, great message. There's, there's another, there's an F word in your book. That's another big word that we don't talk a lot about in the world of mindfulness practice. Um, and that's forgiveness. Talk about where forgiveness, why forgiveness is important as, as an extension of mindfulness and meditation practice. How does this manifest? Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah. And I'm going to tie this into the the last point about, you know, the, the, the rebel that you've noticed. And I think a big piece of that is there's a lot around mindfulness and meditation. There's a, there's, there's pressure there of, you know, you just be present, just be in the moment everything's okay. You know, that, that positive spirituality that is taking people down paths of suppression and repression. And we really are huge advocates of feeling it and, you know, uh, owning all of your emotions and with forgiveness in particular, why that's so important. Um, and I can, I can speak to this personally, I guess, is, um, I had an epiphany uh, 20 years after my dad passed away that um, I was holding on to all of this anger and resentment. And the only way through that was was to forgive him, to forgive him and and let go of of all of that um, anger. And I didn't even realize I was holding on to it, but I had this moment where he's not affected by this anger and resentment he's dead and gone. The only person that it's affecting is me. And, and, and it's it's um, inhibiting, you know, my path to peace and happiness. And so we really want to be advocates of, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go and be best friends with that person you had a fight with, or, you know, um, lock up that family member um a relationship again that kind of went sour. It just means that in your mind, forgiveness can um, you know, be an alleyway to to finding peace by letting go of all the things that you're holding on to about that person um, and acknowledge that you know you forgiving them is not giving them a get out of jail free card or is not, you know, letting them know that their behavior was okay, but it's for you to be able to move on, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's, we have a whole chapter again on on forgiveness, and there's many different ways you can do that because it's so personal it's so sensitive. Um, with my dad, I went through it via empathy. You know, he had mental health issues. He struggled with depression. I think he struggled with bipolar and it was completely undiagnosed and untreated. And it got to the point where, you know, Things essentially blew up, so um, you know I went I went through a whole journey of understanding his childhood and what it was like, you know, being a, like growing up in his household. So there's many different ways, but this whole notion of the F word, of forgiveness, is it's not about the other person. It's not about that bad teacher or bad coach or parent that that upset you. It's really about you. And when you can let that go, um, you know, you're not holding on to stuff, and and you know your pathway to happiness is that much more clear.
0: Yeah, I see this as, I've seen this as a struggle with a lot of people who go into mindfulness practice that they think mindfulness is synonymous with calm.
2: I mean yes. if I sit
0: down um, and just try hard enough, <laughs> if I just breathe enough, I'll feel calm. Yes and no. Um, you know, mindfulness, the Buddhists, you know, and, and the wisdom traditions develop mindfulness as a way of understanding mind. And part of understanding mine is understanding that mine is also clouded with lots of junk. There's lots of stuff streaming in your consciousness, both conscious and unconscious. For example, we've been doing a mindfulness for stress reduction program, and we had a participant very openly and candidly share about her recent experience with uh, grief. She's recently lost a number of people in her family, and she talked about the struggle that she was having being in practice and experiencing this upswell of sadness and grief. Now, it's a very hard thing to say to someone that that's a part of your practice. Um, But I think to your point, what I what I hear you talking about is understanding that mindfulness is really being with things as they are. And sometimes that means that in your practice, what's going to arise in your practice is just this bucketful of content that you may not have seen, you may not be looking at, um, that arises back into your consciousness. And some of it can feel traumatic and unpleasant and uh, discomforting. Uh, So I also see forgiveness as a kind of quality of of discovering how to relate to the content of your experience differently. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's very important to stress that mindfulness and meditation practice do not do away with... "Quote unquote challenging feelings and challenging thoughts." That is that is simply not what this practice does. It is not an off switch um, for, and it's not an off switch from future experiences that you might experience as unpleasant. What it's teaching you to do is to relate differently to those experiences, and forgiveness is a quality of relating to those experiences differently. That's the power of forgiveness, (laughs) right? You described the experience of relating to your your father. One could have been a relationship of anger, resentment, uh, disappointment. That would have been one way of relating to that experience. And another way of relating to it is in a spirit of openness, empathy, understanding, neither of which erase the reality. They just change how you are relating to that reality.
1: Exactly. So beautifully put. Yeah, and and for the first 20 years, that that is how I related to it, through anger and disappointment. Um, and it was my mindfulness practice that brought to light that that's what was happening. Um, so sometimes, you know, Kate and I talk about, don't label your experience of mindfulness or meditation as good or bad. It just is. Sometimes when stuff comes up, when you're quiet with your mind, it's stuff that you have to move through, and that's okay. It just is.
2: Yeah.
0: I know you're both doing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead, Kate.
2: Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I was just going to add to that. Um, You know, and mindfulness is this place where we we do want to learn to you know gently hold all of those feelings that come up. um, You know, as 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 gently and and compassionately as we can. Um, But I also just want to kind of speak a bit about you know spiritual bypassing. you know, which means not really feeling those feelings, just being like, I am calm, I am happy, everything is fine, and not feeling those. Um, but then the concept of you know du- non-duality, right? Of I think in the wellness space, um, and especially coming like my background is in corporate marketing, and the way that we sell things is um, here's a product, you do this, and then this happens, boom, everything's fine. Right. And, um, you know, we, we think about working out our bodies, we go to the gym, and if we work out hard enough, it looks like this. But in, in mindfulness and in, in mental health, we can always hold both things, right? So I think, like with forgiveness or, you know, whether you're holding anchor towards someone, you can have feelings of, of forgiveness and compassion and empathy, but you can still also hold feelings of sadness and grief. And that does not mean that you are not successful. Um, it just means you are human. And when we, you know, when we can say I am anxious, but also um, joyful, you know, I am angry, but I am also happy, right? That just, that, it, that is being human. And of course, mindfulness is a space where we we want to be able to move towards some of the more positive, but that doesn't mean the negative negative will will permanently go away right um it's it's always going to be coming up with things that maybe you thought you worked on five years ago um but you know you just continuously have to make space for it and there's no sort of failure right it's it, it is what it is i love what you said it's more about just acceptance of 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 yeah of, of being human and being alive yeah
0: i think it's really an important point to reinforce and it's something that i try to stress often because I think to your point, there's it's easy to kind of package mindfulness and meditation, particularly for a North American culture that, you know, where we market fixes, you know, everything's a uh-huh. fix. Um, meditation is not a fix and neither is mindfulness. It's not a fix. It's a practice that gets you in tune with the way things are and the way, uh-huh. the, the way things are is a grab bag of, you know, shit and not shit. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. and, and I think the fix in that is what you said earlier how you relate to it because it, it you know over time that you you do you relate to those thoughts differently and things trigger me a lot less now I still get triggered but I'm aware of the patterns and I can breathe myself like feel it breathe through it and then I can kind of let go for that moment but yeah the way you relate to things those emotions might not go away but the way you interact with them is different
0: Yeah, I think it's a critical distinction. So what are you both up to now? Um, I know this book has had a lot of wonderful uptake. I'm glad that people are reading it. What are you both up to now? I know you're doing some work in the corporate training space. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So um, we are launching our book in the U.S. in January, which is really exciting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Let's let you go. We've launched in a number of countries. We have our first foreign language translation, which is in Farsi um, and in Vietnamese as well, which is exciting. Um, And then, yeah, the corporate training space is something I'm personally passionate about because I was, you know, way back when I entered corporate in the early 2000s, I was like that woo-woo person that had positive quotes everywhere and everyone was like, okay, Nina, whatever. Um, And in 2010, I actually left uh, corporate and lived an ashram for a year and unplugged and everyone thought I was crazy because we were in the middle of an economic crisis, but I went anyway. And now I'm just really passionate about, you know, understanding the stresses they face in corporate and the fast-paced environment and bringing those practical tips and tools that I learned into that space. So we're working with some great companies like, you know, uh, Nestle and, um, RBC and, uh, uh Red Bull, lots of great companies to just help implement mindfulness into the way they work. Um, and I know Kate's got a couple of cool projects on the go as well.
0: What's on the what's what's on the table, Kate?
2: Um, well, we also have our masterclass that we launched online, so people can check that out. Um, With shit go. Um, and then yeah, some of the stuff um, that I was talking about, a lot of the how the, our externalities impact our mental health. We've really been integrating into a lot of our, our socials and and, all, and and content and that sort of stuff. And then um, I was actually speaking with a friend who was so interested in it. Um, she uh, wanted to pitch it as a film, um, just in how um, a, a lot of the the systems or the thinking that within the systems that we have that are causing inequality, that are causing the climate crisis are, are all sort of in- interconnected. Um, with our mental health, so uh, yeah, we have a, a network that's really interested in turning it into a TV series right now. So mm-hmm. that's really exciting. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Keep I thought posted you posted on that.
0: I thought you were going to tell me that it was a film of like ninety minutes of just breathing. <laughs> like, I'd love to see that—just people yeah. showing up in a the theater. It's just like a pulsing <laughs> on the board of ninety minutes of just breathing. I think people. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That that would be yeah that would be wild but it, it's really it's really also it's actually more focused on a cl- the climate crisis which I'm also a big environmentalist and right. I feel like this is kind of crunch time for us um, these next three years because we've got a pretty serious deadline or else you know even as the World Bank said it could be the end of humanity which is pretty wild again as a risk but the fact that that's a risk is quite scary um, so yeah it's just understanding. How you know the patriarchy and uh, whether it's you know inequality and all that stuff, individualism, how that impacts us in our love lives, how that impacts us in our, in our working life and wellness. Um, so really connecting the external to the internal and, and realizing, um, yeah, how we can kind of shift things and and start a revolution. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well thank you both for starting a revolution of the mind as a starting point point. And, uh, wor- and then taking your work and moving it outward um it's it's needed and more people doing healing work is needed so thank you for that for those that are new to huddle huddle yeah. is a place to meet amazing people who are sharing wisdom and finding support and becoming the best versions of themselves you can join us in that journey at huddle.com this has been the huddle Lifecast. i want to thank you for tuning in And thank you for turning on to your lives.